0: You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on either face. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The China Shop. I am the host, Kyle, and joining me this week is the enigmatic and egocentric eric smolinski from es invests sorry i had to think of e alliteration on the fly there and i don't really think you're egocentric
1: is this your like normal intro for this after hours thing
0: no not for after hours after hours is kind of just a special thing we do and we just lights are dim low having some drinks and uh, just kind of talking about whatever tickles our fancy
1: i am drinking a sparkling ice right now pink grapefruit yeah, I just have a water. I'm actually kind of lame. I've been moving
0: and I am dead on my feet almost.
1: Dead on your feet.
0: Uh well, not on my feet now cuz they hurt too much, but yeah, pretty much. I, I feel like a zombie.
1: How big was the house that you moved? Uh pretty close
0: to 4000 square feet.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, too I, much
0: too much house,
1: I should say. I now validate your feelings. I appreciate that. <laughs>
0: Oh, but before we turn those lights off, though, maybe we should talk about our sponsors and friends.
1: Wait, turning the lights off?
0: Yeah,
1: it's sexy after hours time. So do we, like, commensurately take clothing off? Uh, only, Only
0: if you lose whatever challenge we've got going today.
1: Well, I mean, realistically speaking, you're my first at this. I haven't done an after hours with you before, so
0: okay. <laughs> I have never
1: been gay either. <laughs> well, okay. Well, we, we don't have to lie about things now because you were in the Navy. So <laughs> fair enough. Good point. All right. Before we
0: dive into today's man on man action, I'd like to just take a moment to thank our friends and sponsors over at <laughs> Manscaped, Trade Pro and Orderful Labs. Manscaped is the best in ones below the waist, grooming with precision engineered tools for your family jewels. And with those holidays coming up, perfect time to take advantage of that exclusive 20% off and free worldwide shipping using promo code 2BOWLS at manscaped.com. As always, that is the number two. And pay no attention to the holiday sale going on. Make sure you use our code. And if we hit that goal and get that actual deal with them, I will probably be doing something stupid like taking requests to test out that trimmer on different body parts. Uh, let's see. Who's next? TradePro Academy. If you guys are looking for institutional quality trading education, TradePro Academy is the place to be. In our free Discord server, you'll also find instructions to take advantage of our discount with them as well. And for all you degenerates who enjoy trading futures, you'll definitely want to check out those custom tools and studies over at Odorflow Labs. We get nothing from them other than access to their toolkit. Uh, we just like it that much. Uh, and lastly, if you uh, want to learn more about Eric, Check him out over at esinvest.com or you can check out his YouTube channel, ES Invests. We'll have links for all that in the episode description.
1: That. What's that? I would recommend against that. Checking out your YouTube. Yeah. People You've been putting who, out a lot of good content lately. People who enjoy their day to day probably just skip. Really? I don't know about that. I, I think, I think so. I've, been,
0: I've been seeing you putting out a lot of good stuff lately.
1: I think the. The joke I'm making here is I think most people who like trading stuff on YouTube are looking for the typical get rich quick. Here's, you know, my private jet flying to my yacht. And I talk about the nasty, dirty side of trading, which is called fucking effort and planning. And yeah, you know, it's not none of the sexy stuff. Uh, That's why we get along, I think. Of course, I am shopping for McLaren right now, so maybe that's what I need to headline more than everything else I'm doing.
0: All right. Lastly, uh, let me finish this intro here. Lastly, let's be sure uh, be sure to reach out to us with your suggestions, corrections, or questions for future guests. You can do that via email at two bowls at financialindeptitude dot com, or you can join that aforementioned free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like minded market aficionados. sure to put those links in the episode description as well you won't find many lambos in ours but you'll have some cool trading setups and other snow pictures when we get bored
1: so in this one do we like there's no kicking in the doors the barn doors or Nah,
0: nah this is after hours we shut the doors lock them close up shop no more guests nobody No more shoppers coming in. We're just going to shoot the shit and talk about, I think, the topic you came up with. um, Challenging some of our biases that we've uh, developed over the years.
1: Talk dirty to me because that (laughs) sounds super fun. Actually, you know, you and I came up with this on The Spur last time, and it was really interesting because I think... I think we all fall into this world where we start to, you know, become comfort seeking. And that doesn't just mean in like, we like to sit in a comfortable chair, but as we develop a skill set, I've noticed it myself where it's you, I have to go out of my way to challenge the way I think about things. And especially if you trade for a while, you start to think about things in a similar capacity for extended periods of time. Like I've been trading for Mm -hmm. 15 years. So there's things that I've started to, you know, build up in my mind. And, you know, like we were talking about last time, I, I really purposefully will go out of my way periodically to see how I think about something and then attempt to prove or disprove that hypothesis. And it's literally just to challenge my ego, to disallow it from getting too comfortable, too uncomfortable with being wrong and allowing myself to really focus on like finding truth. And well, I think that being the North Star allows being wrong to be a lot less painful to our minds. And I think it translates just so beautifully to trading and realistically in life in general, to be completely honest, because you once you let your ego die a little bit, you feel less weird trying new things and looking stupid or you feel more open to other perspectives. So I'm actually super, super stoked to talk about this with you.
0: I like that. And yeah, it is such a hard thing to get away with, especially in the internet age today, because like the search engines and things as they get to know you, like the things that you search for and click on, Mm -hmm. like they start force feeding you stuff that confirms all those things that you, you think. Like run a Google search under your profile and run one under your wife's, like the same question and see what, how different the results are.
1: I'm going to do that literally right now. I'm just going to use two different browsers and one of them. I just made
0: that up on the spot, by the way. So if it doesn't work, then that's a preconceived bias that we've just challenged. Let's see. So (laughs) what what would
1: a decent search be? Actually,
0: we're two different people. Why don't you, uh, yeah, give me something and I'll type it in the same thing you do. I'm using Um, Google. Hmm. So isn't it annoying that Bing, when you type in Google into the Bing bar, it uh, tries to search it for you?
1: Bing? I don't even, yeah, Bing. What's a I Bing?
0: started using Edge more often. That's the default browser. I need to change it. Oh, I'm no. <laughs> I hate Bing. It's so stupid. Okay, I'm not, boomer. I'm not 80.
1: <laughs> Can't use Bing. Um. All right, so what's something that would be somewhat... Controversial to look up that we would expect two different answers. Maybe, um no, that's probably too political. So we could type in is abortion wrong? (laughs) See what that says. (laughs) I fucking love that. (laughs) Buckle up. Is abortion wrong? That's in that one. Is abortion wrong? So I just typed it into Google Chrome under my thing. And then I also did it in Firefox in a private browser.
0: All right. Oh, private browser, nice. So, um,
1: Amnesty International comes up first for both. Pew Research comes up second. BMJ comes up third. Medicine uh, Medicine Missouri comes up. So it looks like exactly the same.
0: I have the best pro-life arguments as the number one from Equal Rights Institute. Then I have abortion statistics, pro-life arg. Oh, these are the ads. That's probably the problem. So, Amnesty Org, Pew Research.
1: Same, same.
0: BMJ.com. Same. So morality maybe, of a portion.
1: Okay. So maybe. I imagine uh, it's, yeah. Imagine hmm. it's got to depend on the topic. You know what I mean? And like. Right. The other thing is on my personal browser, I do have it pers- purposefully constructed to limit the amount of cookies and whatnot, like metadata that they're able to collect. Oh, me. Yeah. I,
0: yeah. I try to clear those frequently too, but uh, I figure if yeah. I signed into my profile that I just get different results.
1: Which is fair. All right, well,
0: maybe Google's fixed that, or maybe it never was an issue.
1: Well, you know what they say, man, it, where's the best place to hide a dead body? Right in front of you. On the second page of Google. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: uh, my answer. that you st- haven't heard that yet. <laughs> I, no, I think I have heard that. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm operating a little bit behind today. <laughs>
1: Well, that's my everyday. So, welcome to the life of a simple minded, smooth brain Marine. I love this. Smooth brain.
0: Yep. All right. What's some of the, what's a bias that you got that, uh, or not a bias, just something that you believed? Because here's the thing like, I I noticed that uh, myself, like, I'm very susceptible to just believing something when I see one article on it and thinking, like, oh, somebody took the time to wrote it, it must be true. It seems pretty well researched.
1: Mm. That's a good point. And it's actually funny, because I typically find myself on the other side of that, like general thought process. Like, when I normally hear a piece of information, my initial reaction is almost always to take the counter side. And to see if I can understand the opposite perspective of just about anything that somebody poses to me. Part of it is because I'm naturally argumentative in nature it's not because i like to fight with people but it is because i really do prioritize trying to find truth so i i think taking other sides of arguments allows me to do that kind of efficiently and very frequently i'll I'll capitulate if i just think that the other person has a better perspective or if i just agree with it from the outset but i typically try to take Mm. the other side of the position i do Um, take
0: the other side of positions a lot that's just because i enjoy the debate sometimes
1: which is good. I mean, I think there's yeah. a lot of intellectual growth that happens from an argument and that like, even that term, it's so funny to me, like how emotional the term argument has become because, Oh, this is a good one. Be- like, I believe oh. that the definition of an argument is not nestled anything tied to a heated debate. I actually right. think, it, I think the the concept of an argument is just two opposing views or perspectives that are essentially trying to prove or disprove the other, or just to explore two different perspectives, volleying back and forth. But I'm actually going to look it up right now because I don't know the answer.
0: uh, Oh, no, actually. Okay. Maybe uh, the top definition that I have here is an exchange of diverging or opposite views, typically a heated or angry one.
1: Yeah. See, like I, I'm looking at the same thing now. And the second one is kind the of second the second
0: one is more, yes, that's more, that's the way I thought of it too. I actually would agree yeah. with you. I would have thought that just because you argue with a point doesn't necessarily mean that you're emotionally attached to it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I still think that you could argue, look at me go that there's efficacy behind that. Right. Cause. No, that's that bullshit no oh, sorry yeah it <laughs> doesn't immediately infer that it is but even that is surprising to me i i didn't realize that they that they would tie the idea of like emotionality behind it but i could see why because that's really colloquially how the term is used
0: well it makes you wonder too i mean cuz definitions change over time
1: so like how many... going to merriam webster it says go. the act or process of arguing, reasoning, or discussing, which is what an argument is.
0: That's what then, I would say.
1: But then 1B is a coherent series of reason statements, or facts intended to support or establish a point of view. But then 1C says an angry quarrel or disagreement. I really don't <laughs> know how these work. So there's one ABC, then there's two AB, three, four, five ABC, then six.
0: So this is a, a preconception that I've had, and that that you just hit on what I think makes English the toughest language to learn.
1: I disagree with you. So is English I...
0: actually the toughest language to learn too? Is the other yeah. question.
1: My hypothesis is English is difficult, but I think Mandarin or Cantonese
0: would be oh, more difficult. I have heard that. I have heard
1: that. That's my guess. So we could look this one up. And for everybody, again, that's listening in, we're not just like randomly debating different topics. We're trying to display an example of we're verbalizing things we think to be true, and then we're looking them up. And the thing that I think people should try to hone in on here is the way we receive the answer we're not trying to look at things that says i'm right here's why yes we're looking at is this accurate yes or no what is accurate therefore
0: and the yeah and being able to say okay i was wrong
1: like yeah because i I mean like
0: that's there's yeah uh having trouble putting the words into my mouth
1: (laughs) god damn it that's where you put the words
0: yeah um Like you said earlier, being able to admit that you're wrong and just takes a lot of the pressure off yourself once you start worrying about being right all the time.
1: And I think a lot of that honestly comes down to people's comfort with themselves. Like the people I find to be less confident have a much harder time being wrong because Mm -hmm. I, I just feel like there's a lot of emotional wrap up behind it. And it's part of their validation of whoever they are, their character as a person, whereas Very confident people I know tend to be very open to being wrong because if I'm wrong about something, I don't think it changes the structure of who I am as a human being, my value or my worth. I think it means that there was just a piece of information I had that was flawed. And I
0: think
1: think for traders, getting around that is so unbelievably important because in trading, we literally are going to be wrong wrong. All the time. And if we don't develop a healthy relationship with being wrong, the only thing we're doing is making the world of trading that much more convoluted. These are the people that are, for the last week, saying, Oh, I'm tax loss harvesting these losing trades. And I always think to myself, The fuck you are. You simply are bag holding. And now you're just deciding that this is the way you mentally allow yourself to circumnavigate being wrong. And you're turning what you believe to be a negative thing into a positive thing. Right. And I, my <laughs> argument always is you should be quote unquote tax loss harvesting as you're following your trading plan and hitting those predetermined loss points, whether it's in February, June, or now it's all the same. Right. Right. I think this goes into that same exact function where people have such a hard time being wrong that we come up with this this pass, essentially. And I always get such a kick out of that because it's like, you pay taxes on the money that you made. So what, what, tax loss harvesting, obviously, again, if you're deploying it as a strategy throughout the year, I could see it. It's called risk management. But if you're just validating, holding a bunch of trades to not pay taxes, the only thing you're doing is making less money. Makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Random, random soapbox moment. But I guess this is what we do when we're sitting here in our lingerie um, with stickies on our nipples. But actually, I had kind of hairy Tasties. nipples. That would be bad. Yeah. i oh, not cutting. like that.
0: <laughs> One of those. <laughs> so
1: now I'm looking up what is... Well, oh, hang Mandarin. on.
0: Wait, wait. We need to go back a moment. Uh, Mandarin Chinese uh, is, uh, according to multiple sources, the number one language is the most challenging
1: to learn. So I guess this means I'm better than you. Is So far. is that
0: We still got more th- to go through.
1: Oh, I thought that that unequivocally just means that I am a superior human being. Well, I see, actually, I heard...
0: I heard that I think in grade school that English is the hardest language to learn and I think I just carry that ever since
1: which I I don't blame you because I do think English is very challenging I think the reason why i I thought it was Mandarin or Cantonese was in college I had a roommate that was trying to learn Mandarin
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I, I took some of the classes alongside of them just because I was fascinated and I I just I I studied other languages. I've been able to pick up other languages. Like when I would travel, like I was able to speak Swahili pretty well, which is a very simple language. Mm-hmm. But my point being is I'm I'm not ignorant to language uptake. But even when we had some Mandarin friends, or not Mandarin, we had some friends that spoke Mandarin and I, there's just did nothing for me to pick up literally at all. <laughs> like even they would, we would purposely frame it where they would um, it would be in context, right? So they would be physically like right now I'm picking up my mouse and right. they would like, realize I'm picking up my mouse and I couldn't, There's nothing I could pick up in between to even like draw parallels to start to understand it.
0: Uh, God damn. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Like there's just nothing that, that stands out. Like you can't hear common phrases you can't hear because normally that's what happens. You start to pick up on words that repeat. and Exactly. My wife is really good at that. I'm awful at it. I'm not good with languages. I'm better with numbers and math.
1: Well, it's good. I mean, honestly, it's better to be good at that, especially as a trader. I'm I'm pretty much not good at anything, so it's all just a <laughs> perpetual struggle, bus for me. Right.
0: Um, what do you got for us? You got anything that you wanted? To, yeah. You thought so, was worth challenging.
1: Yeah. So one of the things I, I think I was telling you about this before, but I heavily questioned the efficacy of discounted cash flow analysis and i'll even add more onto that another thing that i really question the efficacy of is candlestick patterns oh really i think yeah so i think that there are pieces of both of those that have efficacy behind them like i don't think all dcf inherently is wrong and i don't think that there are zero candlestick patterns that can increase the probability of a trade. My argument is I think people overweight them. And I think that even if there was a specific candlestick pattern that had relatively high efficacy, like 60 to 80% of the time, something like that, it's still challenging. Oh, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, is there anything that you use on its own? Like, is there any one thing that as a trader that you say like, Oh, that's good enough for me. I'm going to enter now. Or, no. or does it all need to like paint the picture and give you confluence, like a candlestick pattern with, you know, massive supporter resistance levels with moving average crosses or other things like yeah. that, or ISI or whatever a, things that you like to look at.
1: That's a fascinating question. And There's nothing that I can think of other than dollar cost averaging into a long-term buy and hold index ETF. Yeah. Like there's nothing else I could just mentally inherently say that there's just one thing I'm okay with. And if I see this, then I know that the probabilities of me having a successful trade are high other than that. Right. Like Mm -hmm. if I know the product is a diversified index ETF, I know with relative certainty, at least within US ETFs, I have to call that out specifically because I said this in another video and somebody was just like, well, the- you What know, about the, Japan? The news, Japan's yeah, been exactly.
0: yeah, stagnant for t- 30 years.
1: Yeah, and I was like, that's not the fucking context, but I get it, it's a good point. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so specifically for US ETFs, like if you tell me that somebody wants to invest long-term, buy and hold, I would do that with mm-hmm. that one singular data point. But, but as, any a trader, other? Yeah, as a trader, I can't think of any one single indicator, whether it's technical or fundamental analysis, that would lead me into a trade.
0: Well, let me let me let you finish your initial thought there because you're talking about the efficacy of discounted cash flow analysis. But I do want to yeah. circle back to what you talked about with people overweighting things.
1: Yeah. So for DCF, that's what I'll use instead of saying discounted cash flow. Um over and over again. But for those that are unfamiliar with it, DCF is really a tool used by value investors. And mm-hmm. discounted cash flow is kind of exactly what it stands for. The idea is you're gonna value an individual stock that estimates the value of the investment, the current value of the stock, based on future cash flows. So the idea is if you can find something that has good future cash flows and it's trading at a discount right now compared to what your future cash flows project, then that would mean that you found something that's undervalued and you obviously have a good trade because if something's undervalued and you know, with relative certainty, it's going to increase in value, then you would take that trade. So, so
0: wait, hold on. Now, wait a minute. Let me, because I, before I was asking you, if, like this was just like basically another way of predicting Growth, but now I'm wondering: like, are you actually looking at something? Because invoices are typically paid with terms like 90 days. I think is pretty standard. Maybe some as many as six months. Like when they receive the product, they don't actually pay the bill until 90 to 180 days down the road.
1: It's this is using actual projections, like year over year. Okay,
0: okay, okay. So it's not like looking that something like when a bunch of sales are going to hit the earnings book.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, 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 d- definitely not okay. that. It's, okay. Okay. It's because I would argue all of that's already discounted into the price. Cause that's all already known. Yeah, that should be. Yeah. yeah. So the idea, the idea behind DCF is typically you're going further out in time than that. You're going mm-hmm. out like several years beyond and attempting to project what, um, what values of things will be.
0: So, so what? uh How do we want to look this one up? or oh, you're actually running a test yourself though on this, aren't you?
1: We are. And that's actually one of the first data points I have for it is we were doing a study on it in my discord. Cause I have a member who's awesome. And he does a lot of like fundamental analysis. He does a lot of every analysis, to be honest, it's actually too much. I think yeah, I think mm-hmm. he spreads himself a little too thin and ends up not, you know, being able to action on a lot of it, but he's just generally interested in the markets, which totally cool. So anyways, he is doing a, um, he set up like a handful of tickers that passed his DCF green essentially mm-hmm. and based on those we're tracking them and the the results so far this year we started the the test in march which actually that's interesting because i didn't i didn't test apples to apples in terms of comparing it to the s&p 500 from march to march so i'm going to do that real quick cuz i'm just curious but the long story short is the dcf analysis that we're doing looks at 20, 20 tickers, 21 tickers. And the initial portfolio value was $199,060. And essentially what I did for that is I just did it so that you could do hundred shares of each, because I want to layer Mm. on collecting dividends and covered calls against it. If he wants to include that into the study, just other ways to amplify the returns. But anyways, that's why that's value. And so we started the screen on 25 March, which is when I need to see the value of the spy because this might actually be worse. So the value of the spy on 25 March was what? Let's just call it 450. And the value of it right now at the close is 386.
0: Yep, that looks right to me.
1: Okay, so we have this minus this divided by this. So it's what 16 and a half percent decline in price. So what did
0: you have before? Or were you just looking um, at the annual or the year to date?
1: So I'm looking what well, so I'm looking that's the current same time frame return for SPY. So SPY 25 March to today is negative 16%, 16.5%, whatever. Yeah. And for the last update on the this account, which was on the 19th of December, so it would have moved a little bit, but not a too much the return on that is negative 12.6% so
0: so it is a little I, better
1: exactly i would and that's not including dividends which it, mm-hmm. they probably would have gotten at least two so i could see an argument that the this selection is doing better than the market i still would challenge and this is really the, the part of dcf that i challenge is it's is it just happenstance that these individual products were selected for a specific reason and could we remove all of the additional factors in dcf specifically like the targeted um the target value price because that's the main issue i have so like for example one of the stocks in here was adobe okay when we screened it on 25 march it was trading for 431 the assessed Fair value is 544.21. So the current price of it is 329. So to me,
0: like, so you should be buying it now. Right, buying Yes. Yeah,
1: so to <laughs> me, it's bigness. Um, yeah. and, but some of them like CI is another one that he had. The screen value is 243. The assessed fair value is 247 is currently trading at 331. So to me, I would even still argue that even though it's beating, that's still wrong. Right. Because we're not right. That's not that we weren't accurate in our landing of the assessment. So this is the problem I have with DCF is I think it highlights some healthy internals for products, but I don't think it really does anything. It's like it's not accurate, at least as far as I can see so far. So what I want to do. Go ahead. Uh, so I actually just
0: ran into something very similar to this when I was listing my other house uh, on the market. I was talking to the realtor about it, and he pulled out this fancy, you know, piece of paper that his program spits out that tries to give you what the, your what your market valuation of your house like should be in a vacuum, though. That's the key words because uh, that doesn't take into account like the market conditions that you're in, the interest rates, uh, the whether things are slowing down or heating up, like there's other external factors that influence that just because you have a valuation that in a vacuum, this is what it should be worth. That doesn't mean still because people dictate things. It doesn't mean that that's what people are willing to pay for it now. And Mm. entering into a bear market, like we have been like these stocks, like having, having a valuation target of like $540 in Adobe in March seems kind of insane. Doesn't it?
1: Right. I mean, and that's, yeah, It's a good point. I'm, I'm actually in the process right now to try to attempt to validate, to see if DCF works or doesn't work. I'm looking to see if there's any papers on SSRN or anything that looks like it can validate the efficacy of it. Cause this is one of my preconceived notions Yeah, and I'm curious how well it works. There was one of them. Okay. So here's, I haven't read this study. I literally just pulled it up. What it's called—the discounted cash flow method applied to valuation. Too many uncomfortable truths. It's one of the first ones I could find in SSRN, so I'm not like cherry picking um, a s- specific title or anything like that. It's from October 2016, and I'm essentially just trying to go down to wherever the conclusion is. Here we go. So it says summarizing much of the problems affecting the DCF method come to the fact that it tries to capture with one parameter, the discount rate, two completely different effects, the time value of money, the stochastic nature of future cash flows. Not only that, it attempts to transform a problem which is probabilistic in nature, cash flows are uncertain, into a deterministic problem by appealing to the right of discount rate. So this actually doesn't look like it proves or disproves like with any data set. It just right. is identifying issues with the process itself, which I agree with that. But I'm hoping to find something that actually, and I can keep looking while we talk about the other stuff. But I'm hoping to find something that says like I tested this over X period of time. This is what I did.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I surprised nobody's done that for their like dissertation and economics of- doctorate or.
1: I I think it's because of kind of what I'm highlighting, though. I think it's ve- very difficult to test, like very difficult. One of the papers I saw that I skipped over was says DCF is untestable, so that really could be it could be the case. Well,
0: if it's not testable, I mean that there's a flaw there, right? Concur. Yeah, I Ooh. concur. I think Ooh. I think because again,
1: <laughs> I I think the way that I would test DCF is by how accurate. Are the projections not just if i pick a stock does it go up that's not it's not really the the heart and soul of what the the purpose of dcf is so i i think testing the variance maybe that's something i can add into my my test that i'm doing now right now we just started as like is it a good pick meaning do you make money
0: just checking against the market kind of thing yeah yeah well really i mean that's the bottom line too does it beat the market
1: right yeah because and i think that that's why i gravitated towards that because like from a practical standpoint that like that is what matters mm-hmm. long-time
0: fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as sue pullen and i'm pleased to announce that she's back fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as sue Mackey. sue is a certified mortgage advisor at fairway independent mortgage an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs she has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackie it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again S-P-U-L-L-E-N at fairwaymc.com and that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. While you're looking that up, I'll give you another one that I've held on to for years. This has nothing to do with trading. It's just something that I think I heard. I'm guessing I heard it on QI, which is a BBC program where they just talk about interesting facts. Uh, Hmm. And a lot of them are actually like the simple answer tends to be the wrong answer. (laughs) So it's, if you like, you know, challenging your preconceived biases, that's a great show to watch for that. But uh, the, the one is I wrote down a hydrogen peroxide does not actually disinfect. It just fizzes and looks cool. And that's why people have been using it for so many years.
1: I like that. And I think my, just to add mine in there and then we could look it up is I think that, Hydrogen peroxide actually is bad. And I think that it, from what I believe to be true is it damages like the healthy tissue in mm-hmm. in the wound essentially that you're applying it to. So I, I, I argue that it would have a net negative effect. That's my guess.
0: Oh, no, it actually doesn't. The CDC. Hydrogen peroxide is active against a wide range of microorganisms, including bacteria, yeasts, fungi, and viruses and spores. 0.5% accelerated hydrogen peroxide demonstrated bacterialide and viral salite. I can't say those words. Activity in one minute, mycobacterial dream. Okay, why did I pick a medical one? I can't do these. <laughs> I can't say these words. <laughs> uh, basically, in one minute and five minutes, it reduced uh, all those things. But I think there is something. Uh, yes, you should not be using it on wounds because of what you said. Um,
1: because it kills healthy cells.
0: Uh, I'm trying to find the actual here, Cleveland Clinic. Let's see what they've got to say here. You can be used everywhere. Kitchen. Keep it away from wounds and acne. Hydrogen peroxide has fallen out of favor as a wound cleanser. Study found that it irritates the skin, may prevent the wound from healing, doing more harm than good.
1: Mm, yeah, that's what I thought.
0: Wash with soap and water, and that's all you really need.
1: Do you know on this, just out of curiosity, do you know if Witch's Hazel works? What is Witch's Hazel? It's a great Isn't that fucking like question. One of those? What about crystals? No <laughs> should,
0: we, should we look that up too? Witch's crystals. The healing effect of crystals. Uh, Witch's Hazel. Used to relieve swelling, bleeding, itching, minor pain, and discomfort caused by minor skin irritations. Also used to relieve itching, discomfort, irritation, burning caused by hemorrhoids. Oh, I probably was using that. Uh, That's why it sounded familiar. (laughs) And yes, that is true. Uh, Yeah, I think it does actually work.
1: So it says that it's a.
0: Uh, The question is, though, really, does it beat? uh, Is it better than uh, placebo? Hmm. Cause I think I've actually been seeing a lot of studies popping up that marijuana's pain relief actually isn't any better than placebo effect, like in an actual double blind study.
1: Just like smoking something else.
0: Well, yeah, that's the that's the part that I don't understand is how can you have a double blind study when like there's very clear side effects of weed. Like <laughs> you don't you don't smoke a placebo and then get high, do you?
1: We need to find out more about that study. Can you smoke a
0: placebo and get high? So, yes, uh, the <laughs> there was a study trying to do something. It was something different. But uh, the people receiving the placebo realized they were not high after half an hour or so. So they they pretty much knew they had the placebo. Got it. Although Cora says, yes, you can get high with the placebo effect. Uh, You can induce any emotions unto yourself by using a placebo. The placebo is just a stimulus. It is you who is deciding what you want to feel. That is how people often get cured of their illnesses, by using placebos. Interesting. I think that's the problem, is a lot of times you find uh, an answer for and an answer against, and then you have to decide which one makes the better argument.
1: Well, I think it also highlights that a lot of things aren't quite as cleanly black or white as we think they are.
0: Yeah, look at the egg. Scientists have been debating whether the egg is good for you or not for decades that I'm aware of, probably longer than that. Egg? And it changes every year. The egg, yeah, chicken eggs.
1: Really? I didn't even know that. Like, that oh, big... just
0: the whites are good for you, and then no, you have to eat them both because they work together. And then oh, no, the yolks are, are and you that, talking yeah.
1: like the? Are you talking like not science? Are you talking about scientists? Or are you talking about yeah. like scientists? Um, the what is it? The FDA.
0: Uh I think it was the FDA. I thought it was just there seems yeah, to be a guess, paper every couple of years that talks about whether the egg is good for you or not.
1: Interesting. Yeah, cuz I think science goes back and forth on a lot of stuff like that, like red wine, coffee, like even milk and saturated fats, but a lot of that is like the FDA side of things which I mean those guys I wouldn't trust them with nutrition advice at all. Right. <laughs>
0: the, the was that South Park where they said they had the food pyramid upside down? Dude, it's so funny. It should have been fats at the bottom. <laughs> Weed at the front. So funny. That's where everyone's dick exploded from eating gluten. Wasn't it?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I fucking love those guys. Dude, South park makes everything like they have such a slick way to talk about like actually pretty important issues, but do it humorously and still make it entertaining.
0: And yeah, the, they they, yeah, they don't ever really pick sides too much either. They, they make fun of either side as viciously right. as the other.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Like as much as they did about Donald Trump with Mr. Garrison, they had Hillary Clinton. Um, I think they had her vagina and anus trying to like hold people hostage and run off. Or was that, was that Oprah?
1: Oh, they they ragged the shit out of Oprah too though.
0: Oh, Hil- Hillary had the snook on her sniz. That was the one.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs>
0: They actually rewrote that episode, too. The the one where uh, Mr. Garrison won the election because they thought Hillary was going to win. They had a whole episode planned out with her winning and had to rewrite it in the last day. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Uh, did you find anything on your uh, uh, discounted cash flow? Any good studies? No, dude.
1: Like, I, I, I literally can't find anything. I'm looking, I was looking in SSRN. Now I was looking in Google Scholar. So this might have to be one that I... Circle back to.
0: Uh, here's another one that I used to believe for years until I finally found out it wasn't true. And this one pisses me off because I remember it being on a fucking school textbook. the The myth that the Great Wall of China is the only man made structure that's visible from space.
1: Mm, I've heard that before.
0: And then there's a satellite image of the or, uh, of the world. I think it was like Europe and Asia. And then they had somebody had drawn in the Great Wall of China <laughs> where it should be that's funny like, you fuckers <laughs> they got I you like good. yeah of course it's true it's right here but that makes no sense like how like sometimes you just think about some of the things that you've believed and you're like man that's that's dumb like gum stays in your stomach for seven years like really <laughs> Like, no nothing stays in your stomach that long that or like if you the great wall of china like how how wide is the great wall of china at its widest if you're being generous like maybe what 10 yards yeah i was guessing like
1: 50 to Maybe 60
0: Maybe 50? Feet. Say 50 feet. Okay. How wide are the Great Pyramids of Egypt?
1: No idea. <laughs>
0: a lot wider than that at their base. I think that's fair. Uh, the Great Pyramid is uh, about a kilometer long and. Wait, what? Oh, is it not that big? Standing at 481 feet tall. The uh, white limestone casings have dropped that a little bit to 454. So it's one kilometer long and 20 yards wide. That makes zero sense. I must have looked something up wait, wrong.
1: 20 yards wide?
0: <laughs> the Great Pyramid of Giza? I don't think I don't that's think true. that's right. I think we can both. All right, let's see if we're wrong on I this I think we one. can rule that one out. It's a pyramid. It should be the same in either direction. 756 feet. Okay, thank you.
1: Oh, wait, no, that's a lie. That's a lie. Hold on. It says how wide. Oh, yeah, it is. So the base yeah. of the Great Pyramid is a square with each side measuring 756 feet. Side, so okay, so the base covers 13 acres. Yeah, and it, can
0: that be seen from space?
1: I think it depends on what we consider space.
0: I would say the Carmen line. Basically, if you're in the uh, ISS, can you can you see it from there? They can be. And yes, but you probably need uh, binoculars to to really be able to see them.
1: So it says you can view them from space. You can view the Grand Canyon, the Himalayas, Great Barrier Reef, Amazon River, Palm Desert, Dubai, Ganges, River Delta, Greenhouses of Almeria, Spain, River Thames, United Kingdom, Kencot Copper Mine, the cities at night. This is like a random thing that says things you can see from space.
0: I don't hear the Great Wall of China in there. I did
1: not see the Great Wall of China in there.
0: God damn it, Tucson Educational System.
1: I know, they really did you kind of (laughs) dirty, didn't they? They did. I can't believe they put that on the book,
0: though. That's what really chaps my ass.
1: Yeah, you hate to see it. Pretty hilarious, though.
0: How many other people have been carrying around that factoid only to look stupid? (laughs) 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 Oh, what else you got for you? got anything else?
1: No man, I think those are the main ones. I I think you know as I just think about what we're doing here, it's just I think it's important to be able to have conversations about things that you may or may not think are true, and approach it with an open mind. And again, I, I just I feel like the ability to translate that over to trading is so freaking important because the other thing I see a lot is when people are trying to do their technical analysis, they come up with this like really intricate hypothesis. And the worst possible thing that can happen is if their hypothesis plays out because now they think they have a superpower yeah. and sooner or later, they find the faults in the superpower and they realize that there's just, there's more to the systems. It just, to be very clear, you can use, in my opinion, at least you can use technical analysis to identify like higher probability events, but I do not think you can use technical analysis to predict events like Nope. in their entirety, with even nope. 95% efficacy, like given a five percent error range. like I, I just I don't think that technical analysis um, provides that level of fidelity. And I think that a lot of people that fall into the camp where they just hold on to their beliefs too tight like that. They don't like to be wrong. They just validate themselves when their hypothesis is wrong because of X, y, or Z happened, and then they still believe they have this power and you know the whole time they're losing money doing it
0: well what what typically happens or the the cycle that i've gone through personally is that you come up with a new idea or strategy you test it and run it for you know trade it for two three months and it works beautifully and then it suddenly stops working or you take seven or eight losing trades in a row and then you lose confidence in your strategy and then you don't know how to react to that because your confidence in it has been shaken. Mm. But the win, the wins and the losses play too much on the, on the ego, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Like you're, yeah. you're,
0: you're too emotionally invested in the wins or the losses when like most of the good traders that I've talked to have a win rate somewhere in the 40% range. That means they're wrong 60% of the time. Mm-hmm. And, like
1: that's that's that's, yeah, yeah. that's and that's normal. Yeah. I would say that's very normal.
0: That's good. <laughs> that's, Those guys, you can make great money with a 40% win rate if you have proper risk management and risk to reward targets.
1: Completely agree. I think that that's like just, it cannot be overstated, but the ego just becomes so involved in the process that it becomes, I think, difficult for people to differentiate. I like to say, you know, do you want to be right or do you want to make money? You have to pick one of them. You know, if you're going to be in trading, you're going to have to pick one of them and one of them makes you money, the other one just tries to assuage your ego.
0: One of the things I started doing recently, this came after uh, the latest recording we did with Rich Friesen uh, for the Trade Runners. Um, talked about, whenever somebody says like, I think this is what's gonna happen today, like everything's setting up for a bullish day, I'd say, okay, uh, what do you need to see to be, to know that you're not right, your thesis is wrong? Mm. Because I know that I have not thought that through. But having that like written down as part of your daily plan, like if your daily plan says like, I'm expecting this to hold a support, these are my targets. Okay. What point do you switch your bias? What point do you think that this trade is not working anymore? Like have that written down as a plan. So when you get into that scenario, you're not constantly, continuously trying to buy the same failing support and just, you know, trying to martingale your way back to to break even. Right, right. Yeah,
1: that's a good point.
0: But that's a very healthy exercise and we're doing a little bit of it here. Like what's the counterpoint of view, you know? Right. What's the, what's the other side of the argument? Let's understand that because then we'll have a you, worst case scenario. We find out we were wrong and we change our point of view. Okay. So what? We learned something. We got better.
1: Well, and I think part of it, I think part of it comes down to like the stigma A lot of people, I think, become afraid to be wrong because people who are wrong are commonly ostracized, especially online. And Uh. what, what I always say is, you know, people who are wrong or people who change their minds when they receive new data, it doesn't mean, you know, that they're idiots. It means that they're receptive to new information. And sometimes, you know, people operate on busted information. It is what it is. But I think people become so entrenched because of the way that the internet is, you know, being wrong Mm -hmm. is difficult because the internet is so merciless about it.
0: Well, there's also been a kind of a shift in our society too, to where you're either right or you're the devil. Mm. Yep. And I think some of that is kind of carrying over to, you can't be wrong because if you're wrong, wrong is evil.
1: Right. Yeah. I can definitely see that.
0: But it's uh I mean, it's sad like you can't even like entertain the other viewpoint anymore on some of these hot button issues well in like why not understand what the other person what the other side of you is because then you can actually come up with arguments to make your case that might actually reach somebody have that real discourse because you'll probably learn something too the real answers usually on these types of things are somewhere in the middle
1: right totally agree with that yeah i I think yeah, it's, I really think the ego is such a powerful force and the ego makes mm-hmm. it very difficult to like process information healthily, in my opinion.
0: Yep. Yep. Searching out the, the opposite points of view, though, is something you mentioned earlier, and that's, uh, something my wife does something that I've been trying to do more of. Like w- the way you search things too, like we, we typed up, I think the question we, at the very beginning was, is abortion wrong? Hmm. Like, just the way you phrase it like that, like, is already biased the results that you're going to get.
1: Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Absolutely. And I and I think that there's a pretty, you know, significant degree of just charge in the way that our minds initially receive information. Mm-hmm. And then the way that that subsequently gets routed and processed. That, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's another just really strong point. um uh,
0: last thing I want to cover cuz we're going to know, towards the end here I think. If still got a little bit of time left. um uh, you'd mentioned uh people overweighting candlestick patterns. Mm. And I kind of wanted to circle back on that cuz I remember reading a really great book and I know I've mentioned it on the podcast several times. The book's called Blink. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't remember who wrote it off the top of my head, but it's one of the things they talked about in there was an evaluations of a hospital that was doing
1: it's by Malcolm Gladwell, by the way. we read that in the Marine Corps.
0: Malcolm Gladwell, that's what I write.
1: yeah, that's yeah, a big Oh, you did. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's do you
0: remember the uh, the study they talked about with the hospital and their success rate in diagnosing heart attacks? Yep. Mm-hmm. They had like a 40 item checklist, and they were going through and marking all these things down. and the problem with the 40 tick checklist is that you've got so many items on there that you have no idea how to weight things. right. Like somebody being overweight versus being a smoker. Like one of those is much worse than the other. <laughs> and I think they took their success rate. I don't know the exact numbers, but I thought it was somewhere around like 40% and like properly diagnosing all the way up to the 90s just by yeah. simplifying the list to the three biggest items.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think there's a lot to that. And it's interesting because following off of Blink, I also think that there's, you know, I think a big part of successful trading comes down to pattern recognition. That's an observed studied side effect. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of chicken and the egg problem because I think it's important to be able to recognize patterns. But yeah, I, I do think that people will frequently overweight individual things, especially candlestick. Like I'm talking candlestick patterns themselves, not necessarily chart patterns because right. right. I've read studies on chart patterns and there are certain chart patterns that have a pretty high degree of efficacy. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, specifically candlestick patterns.
0: But that's the question. Do you know how much to weight the different items that you use for your confirmation tools? Like, has anybody ever given that some thought?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I actually inherently do that. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: How do you do it? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, it's but a good question. Is it question. just based on data that you've collected over the years? Or do you have like anything more scientific backing that up?
1: I think it's based pretty much on that. And I think it's mm-hmm. based on a mix between like backtesting and then also like the actual data sets that I create as I, I trade. Um, And there is a certain element of gut feel that starts to get integrated, although I, I really don't like leaning on that but essentially gut feel is what you know again malcolm gladwell talks about in blink it's our ability to just rapidly process all of our hierarchy of information that's stored away and to apply all of that in very short time frames to view something and analyze it so you know Mm. part of it is gut feel can be misled and it can be based on like false and incorrect um, patterns, but then it can also be quite accurate. So I think part of my application of different tools, like for example, I am going to weight the price of a product and its relationship to a moving average far more high, highly than a oscillator. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's based on that. It's based yeah. on backtests. That's based on my data set, and then it's also based on I think gut feel, which is really predicated on you know the two that precede that.
0: I think I think I go through cycles where I start to overcomplicate myself, and I have to end up trimming everything down to just the key items. And I go through this process about once every three months. It feels like just naturally.
1: It's pretty common, especially for newer traders. Is mm. You get drawn in all different kinds of directions. There's all different, the next best thing, the next shiny bell, the next whatever. And it's funny to me because almost all of the very successful traders I know, they definitely have, you know, they have complexity behind the process. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of them like acknowledge the beauty in simplicity. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot of efficacy behind that. I mean, one of the things we see in the Marine Corps is brilliance at the basics. And if you can do right. simple things exceedingly well, there's a lot that a lot of value you can derive from those kinds of systems, in my opinion. Did you study
0: ancient warfare? When you were in officer school? Did they talk about like uh the hoplites and Romans and yeah, all that? Absolutely. Was the only thing that separated like the military powers from those days, like the great armies, was it discipline? Was that the only thing that really separated them from each other?
1: I think it's hard to boil it down to that. I, I guess there could be an argument.
0: Sometimes it was technology, but
1: Yeah. I there could and resources is another one, access to resources. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, you could say discipline. I I think adaptability is probably what I would go with personally. But Hmm, it's interesting. Yeah, I think discipline obviously is really important, especially for larger conventional forces. But any of the the great military leaders that I think about have all been able to adapt to new problems that they haven't seen before, like Hannibal, right? As he's trying to conquer the known world, he had to cross the Alps. Yeah, and everybody said you couldn't do it, and he did it. So I I think that there's same thing with you know the the Greeks at the hot gates at Thermopylae to use a very known example. Another thing, right? There's no way that a small it's not like 300 like the movie. There was more, but it was still relatively. A very small force compared to the invasion invading persian army but again through like adaptability and tactics they found a way to at least mitigate some of it
0: so i'm actually gonna i'm gonna carry us on for just a little bit longer because i love that i've read a lot about that battle after that movie came out and by all definitions that was kind of a disaster really they didn't last that long it was only a couple days <laughs>
1: Yeah, but I mean, I, I would still argue like a couple days is still super impressive against an overwhelming. It,
0: it is, but this is this is what, and I think it was uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Love him was talking about when I was yeah, I mean, he's talking about the ancient Greeks and the difference in the why we look at the the ancient Greeks and like the, the the history of them with such awe is because of the way they wrote it. They wrote it with such uh, personality. When you looked at like the persians description of their side it was just this many men went this many men attacked this many men died we ate this much and then that's it but you had shit from you know the the greek side where they're like you know the colorful things like oh their arrows will blot out the sun what will we'll fight in the shade like that those kinds of things that they throw into their writings and descriptions like that's what made it memorable
1: yeah, oh I agree with that. And I think that's why it turned into a movie and stuff, but I still would right. argue that it's a that's a that is a tactical success to some degree, being able to withstand such an opposing force and at least buy the time for other pieces of the militaries to be able to move.
0: Yeah. I also don't like the way they make it sound like it's just 300 people, do like you said. Like, yeah, no, there's yeah. 10,000 thespians that were there with them. Like, what about them? Like, those guys were right. pretty goddamn brave. And even better because they weren't fucking trained soldiers. <laughs> they were exactly. volunteers.
1: Yeah, dude. And like, a, where's and their story? <laughs> I think there's a big, yeah, in Hollywood tends to do that with a lot of stuff. Yeah, but- yeah. I think adaptability is probably one of the the premier features. And I, I honestly think that applies to life, man. I really do. Yeah. Like things change all the time. And if we get too rigid and too unwilling to change with things as they change, you just get stuck and you can't, you can't adapt and continue to thrive. Even again, taking it back to trading. I don't trade the same way this year. I did not trade the same way I traded five years ago just not the mm. same way I traded 5 years before that. Things evolve over time and I think it's like imperative that we adapt adopt the mindset that we have to adapt alongside with it.
0: The thing is everybody else who's playing this game with us is trying to is adapting and getting better. And if you're not getting better then you're stagnating and you're going to get passed by
1: sooner or later. Yeah, without a doubt.
0: That's really true in everything, right?
1: Yeah, I I agree because a lot of people they'll ask like, why do I still test stuff? Why do I still do so much back testing? Why do I still paper trade? Which I'm an advocate of. Mm. And I like, I tell people all the time, it's because like what I do works and it's worked for a while, but I'm not under the illusion that it's going to work into perpetuity. Like things change, man. Like everything can shift. And if I am completely, my success is completely predicated on the way that I do things right now, that's a giant risk that I'm mm-hmm. just accepting, which I think is foolish.
0: Sounds like a great place to to leave it here. That was a powerful, powerful uh, a moment I think we just had there, right? Yeah, super fun. I think it tied everything together nicely with the bow. Yeah. Uh, now I gotta do the ending.
1: Excited for this. <sighs>
0: <laughs> well we've come to the end everybody um it's the end of our time with eric but don't worry there's plenty more to see at his website you can check him out at esinvest.com. check out his uh youtube channel uh, i'm sure that new lambo will be on there soon well Lambo. oh you don't oh, okay
1: well don't disrespect me like
0: that you don't you don't want the new rivian oh no, dude i don't like lucid don't motors know. lucid motors that's the one what's the one that just beat the McLaren? I actually don't know. I think that was a lucid. Somebody just posted that in their Discord. I'll send you the link after this. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for everybody who stuck around, listened to us babble, and, and have a good time. Uh, a little Something a little different for the holidays here, but hopefully uh, you made it to the end. Uh, we'll be back soon after the holidays with another exciting episode. But until then, we just got to say goodbye. So get the fuck out and have a good holiday.
1: Goodbye.